And guess what? We get to have church today. All right. That was a little lame. Are you excited about being in God's house? Amen. All right, let's get a songbook, and we'll turn, first of all, to number 60. Number 60, the way of the cross leads home. Number 60. I must needs go home by the way of the cross. There's no other way but this. I shall ne'er get sight of the gates of light if the way of the cross I miss. The way of the cross leads home. It is sweet to know as I onward go. The path that the Savior trod. If I ever climb where the soul is at home with God, the way of the cross leads home. The way of the cross leads home. It is sweet to know as I onward go. pages to number 64 number 64 lead me to Calvary we'll sing the first and the last stanza king of my life I crown thee now thine shall the glory be lest I forget thy thorn crown brown lead me to Calvary I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget thine agony, lest I forget thy love for me, lead me to Calvary. May I be willing, Lord, to bear daily my cross for thee, even thy cup of grief Thou hast borne all for me, lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget thine agony, lest I forget thy love for me, lead me to Calvary. Amen. Shake hands with someone around you there. Tell them it's good to see you this morning.
Good morning. Welcome to Central Baptist Church Sunday School Hour. We welcome you and um, looking forward to great services today. Um, at this time, after um, we have a couple announcements, we have our uh, chair volleyball for senior adults this Thursday. And I believe that's uh, about it um, for, as far as announcements today. So uh, uh, what time is the chair volleyball? 10 o'clock in the gym in the back. So, all right, 10 o'clock, not too early and not too late. All right, um, at this time, if we could uh, have, do we have any birthdays this morning? Any birthdays? Any anniversaries? All right. If we could have our ushers come at this time. If you would, please keep uh, Nell O'Neill in your prayers. Pastor Wiggins, um, um, pray for Mrs. Wiggins. Continue to pray for her. He is on his way, so he's coming. Um, pray for Brother King. And um, continue praying for the Cruz family. It was a nice service yesterday. They continue praying for them. Um, Brother Pouts, would you uh, pray over our offering this morning? Amen. Good morning. morning. Welcome to Sunday School. We'll be in Galatians chapter 4. Mrs. Willen will finish chapter 4 this morning. So I'll try to get right into it here. Oh, I got there quick. All right. I think we should have plenty of time, actually. All right, Galatians chapter 4, and uh, if you remember, uh, we left off in verse 20 last week, um, and uh, 
This week we'll be in verses 21 through 31. Uh, as I said, we should, we should finish the chapter. Um, then we'll move into Galatians chapter 5, which is very exciting. Um, and and uh, as I said before, uh, we kind of talked about the, the flow of the, of the book. And after the introductions in Galatians chapter 1 and 2, um, the Apostle Paul gives, uh, asserts his authority as an apostle. And, and uh, that ties into the, the story about uh, him rebuking Peter and all these things. Um, but also the authority of the, the gospel message uh, that he was given to, to preach. And so uh, then we move into Galatians 3, and he starts kind of this, uh, uh, this situation where he's, he, gets, he gets a little bit personal. And it's important uh, to stir people up, I think. He's, he's kind of affecting the heart a little bit and, and tenderizing their conscience to uh, how, they, how they got in. First of all, how did you get saved? What, what, you know, you did nothing. Uh, recall how you got saved. Was it by the Spirit or by works of the law? And of course, uh, they didn't know the law. They didn't know what aspects of the law that would have been required at that time. They they had heard nothing uh, about the law because they're they're Gentiles for the most part. And so, when the Apostle Paul came in, obviously he's asking these rhetorical questions in chapter three. Uh, and then he goes into some teaching about the promise and and the laws that it relates to the promise. And then he um, the the relationship to the law. And we kind of dug into that a little bit. Um, and then the end of chapter 3 into chapter 4, he started talking about this, this new inheritance and uh, the, the inheritance as far as uh, how things had changed from the dispensation, uh, the age of the law and, and moving into the age of, of the gospel and the age of grace. Um, in, in Galatians chapter 4, we uh, discussed these, uh, the benefits of adoption and then uh, serving as sons. Um, and then uh, we ended off with uh, Paul dealing with the Galatians' departure from their, their joy in the gospel as they had originally believed it. They had uh, allowed these false teachers to come in and affect them in such a way uh, that they had really lost their, the joy in the grace of God. And, and so we're kind of continuing on with that thought. And, and as he got a little more personal there, it's going to get even more personal uh, in, in chapter 5 and 6, and, and uh, he will... There'll be a little more application, I think, for us as well in those. So I'm kind of excited to get to those, kind of nervous in a way, so pray for me. I, you know, you have to handle those things carefully, of course, and I want to do that. Um, so I'm going to read verses 21 through 31. And this morning we're going to, uh, I'm going to talk about the covenant of grace at the end. And we, we kind of discussed this at the very, very beginning. If you remember back to um, chapter, when I started, when I picked up for pastor uh, in, in Galatians chapter 1, we, we sort of talked about, uh, the, the gospel, of course, is the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. You know, the, the Apostle Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, for I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So we understand that is the, that's the gospel um, in part and parcel, but the overarching theme of the gospel, and there's, there's other elements that we need to understand about the gospel. So, for example... You could go into a Catholic church and they would say, oh, yeah, we, we teach the death, burial, and resurrection, except the, they teach a lot of other things, too. And so we're talking about, we've been talking about and kind of expounding upon this covenant of grace. Um, I should also say that when we talk about the law, and I'll, I'll talk about this a little bit more, uh, so this may be a repeat, but um, we, we did dive into the Ten Commandments and things. But when it talks about, when, the, when someone's saying the law, particularly in the New Testament, they're really talking about a lot of the different books of the Old Testament. So Jesus would talk about the law and the prophets and things like that. And so 
we have to understand that we're not just talking about the Ten Commandments uh, always. It depends on the context. So sometimes we are, sometimes it's talking about the books of the Old Testament. So um, just important things to, to take note of, things that you probably already know, but just uh, as a reminder. All right, so I'm going to read verses 21 through 31 now, finally, after I talked. Uh, all right, verse 21, Galatians chapter 4. Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh. But he of the free woman was by promise, which things are an allegory. For these are the two covenants, the one from the Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar. Uh, For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, thou barren that bearest not. Break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what God saith, What saith the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. We'll break this down a little bit. Let me pray first. Father, we thank you for this day and for your many blessings. We do ask for uh, your special blessing upon the Cruz family, that you give them grace and comfort during this difficult time. We ask that you'd help our pastor with uh, the difficult time he's having now and give him grace as well. Lord, help him. Uh, as he prepares to preach this morning, we just ask that you would uh, give him strength and energy and clarity. Lord, help me now as I, as I teach here. Lord, help us all uh, to have tender hearts and minds and, and to be receptive. Lord, we ask that uh, you'd help me to say what you want me to say, nothing more, nothing less, and that you might be honored and glorified in everything that's said and done here. And we thank you and praise you for everything you'll do. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so verse 21 again. He says, tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do ye not hear the law? Um, And if you recall back to the end of verse 20, Paul says, for I stand in doubt of you. And to stand in doubt uh, is to be at a loss. So he's he's perplexed that that they would have something and and give this up so easily, uh, seemingly so easily. So it's because they've abandoned the simplicity of the gospel. He's, He's perplexed by this. The New Testament was not complete yet, of course, but they did have the Old Testament. And uh, he starts hearkening back and and teaching back some things uh, from the Old Testament. In chapter 3, as we kind of alluded to in the introduction, that he he was uh, talking about Abraham and the promise and the comparison of the law and and the promise. And uh, and, and, uh, then Genesis now, he's he's referencing back to to Abraham and his his situation in Genesis. And um, so he's used scripture to deal with the superiority of the promise and, and how the law uh, could not and was not intended to nullify or to supersede the promise, nor could it. And remember in uh, chapter 3, uh, he says, and this I say, verse 17 of chapter 3, he says, and this I say that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. So uh, there was nothing that was going to be able to disannul that promise. That was a covenant, an eternal covenant, that was a spiritual covenant that was made. And so there's nothing that was intended nor could supersede or cancel out uh, the promise. 
As a matter of fact, because of the nature of the promise, because it was received by faith, uh, anything that that required works to obtain it would have would have made it null and void. It, it wouldn't have worked uh, that way. So he now brings up the law again, but he's dealing with a different aspect uh, of, of uh, the uh, story of Abraham and his family here. So we, we talked about verse 17 and 18, how uh, back in a previous lesson, how these false teachers had zealously affected the Galatians that, that they might exclude them and that uh, these false teachers would be affected. Um, and, and we talked last, I think it was last week, that we talked about how if, if you create a situation where there's some, something that you're adding to or to uh, give you completion or some kind of justification, so faith plus works, faith plus anything, uh, you, by, by design, you need someone that's going to administer that because it's not clear in the Bible what that would be. Uh, so you have to pick some things. You have to pick and choose things. And, and if the, let's say if you, if you went to Matthew and you're reading through the Beatitudes, well, you're going to have a really hard time uh, claiming justification by uh, upholding all of those things that Jesus talked about, where, you know, if you've sinned in your, if you've uh, committed, if you've uh, lusted after a woman, you've committed adultery in your heart, right? So how, who can judge that except God? So if you, if you are adding things to, um, justifica- to faith for justification, then by design, you have to have an administrator. You have to have someone, some man, uh, that you put in a position that's going to be able to give weight to certain things, that's going to be able to draw the line, and, and, and or a group of men that's going to determine uh, what's going to be required for this uh, completion of your salvation. And, and, uh, that's, and that's where a lot of cults come in, because that's how the cult leader is established, is, okay, we decide that this guy's close to God, or is God, or however they define their, their leader, and uh, he makes those ultimate determinations. You think about like the Branch Davidians over in Texas a long time ago. That man claimed to be the Messiah and all these things. And to be righteous, these people were having to give them their, give him their wives and daughters and all kinds of stuff like that. So um, you don't. There's no line really. When 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 you give that that authority, if you take that out of out of what the Bible says, and you give that authority to a man, it's going to be abused 100% of the time. And, and and we see this as well in the Catholic Church. Um, the, these, these folks don't believe they can even approach the throne of grace, which is clearly what the Bible says. They think that the, the, the priest has to pray for them and, and intercede on their behalf. Um, but we know that there's, there's one between man and God, and that's the, the, the man Christ Jesus. So you, you, when you replace Jesus as your intercessor, when, when you do that, that's, that, and that's where the Galatians are falling into, is that they've, these false teachers have become that administrator of of essentially this false grace or this false gospel they, they've become the ones that make that determination and uh, you get into a shipwreck when you do that and so uh, th- in this line of thinking this is, this is influencing this next portion of teaching so he got a little bit personal there he's telling them you know basically you're brainwashed he, he called him bewitched before who hath bewitched you uh, the, and and so he, he's he's letting them know hey somebody they're they're They've affected you in a really bad way. This is not a good situation for you. And, um, of course, again, I always like to remind this. When I say the Apostle Paul, we, we all know that this is inspired. This, this was penned by men but inspired by the Holy Ghost. And, and so it, everything should agree with each other because of that, and it does. Um, so he says, you desire to be under the law. Uh, you believe these elements can bring righteousness and justification um, do you do you know what it's really saying? Do you do you know what 
the, the Old Testament's really talking about here? Do you, uh, the, these, these things that were, uh, that are recorded in history are also for our learning. I believe it's Romans 15, 4, for whatsoever things are written aforetime are written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And so he's uh, applying that here and, and he's, have, he's saying, have you actually heard and fully understood what the law represents? I remember I grew up in the 80s and uh, Generation X, you know, we, we just, I was five years old and we, we were out in the neighborhood just doing whatever we wanted. And so frequently... Uh, we were taken advantage of by older kids because at, I was five. My, my younger brother is almost two years uh, younger than me. So he's five and three to four. I wasn't quite six yet. Um, but we would go around and we'd have toys. We'd be out there playing. We'd go down. We lived in a, a townhouse complex and we'd go down and play at the tennis court and stuff like that and with our action figures and everything or big wheels or whatever. And it would always happen. These older kids would come over. And they'd have these old garbage toys, and, and they would just build them up and tell us how great they were. And, you know, you, know, you guys should really, you guys probably really want this. And, and we had, you know, these Star Wars action figures, really cool toys, brand new and stuff. And so they would trade us these garbage toys for these brand new toys that we had. And, and I remember so many times still laugh at my dad about it. But he, was, he would have to, we'd go home with these, these broken up, you know, Hot Wheels with three wheels and paint chips and everything else. And it's like... What happened to all your toys? Well, these are really cool, and they told us blah, blah, blah. And uh, my dad would have to go and, and uh, get our toys back from those kids. He'd take all the garbage toys and go knock on their door and deal with their parents and all this stuff. So we see that with the, with the Galatians here is that they've, they've given up something so precious and valuable for garbage. This, is, this, isn't, this isn't a biblical teaching that they've adopted. This is something that appeals to the flesh, and it's a, it's a they, they've had teachers that have manipulated and perverted grace in the gospel uh, so that they could take advantage of the situation. They, they're, they're feeling good about themselves because they're gaining converts and, and they're proselytizing people and bringing people over to their side. And uh, that they feel good about that. They, they, have, they feel like they've gained some things. They've gained some followers because you have to remember uh, they're just as sincere about their false doctrine as, as the Apostle Paul is about the true doctrine. Uh, they want to bring people over to their side just like we want to bring people over to our side. It, it, their, their sincerity and their conviction and everything like that is, is not uh, phony or false or anything like that. It just it affects them in a way that builds up their flesh. And, and we bring in souls and we're trying to bring people to Christ. It's for the honor and glory of God. We want to see people go to heaven. We don't want to see people go to hell. We understand that there's, there's only two ways to go. And one way is, as Pastor preached a couple uh, last week or the week before about the, the straight and narrow gate and the wide gate, uh, and and you see that there's a lot of ways to go to hell. There's a whole bunch of ways you can go to hell, and there's only one way to go to heaven through Jesus Christ. And so we have to understand how uh, these Galatians are failing to understand how precious it is, the thing that they have moved away from and gone back on and given up. And so that's where we are here. And, and we begin to see things laid out. Uh, here in, in twos, and, and the apostle calls to mind the Old Testament principles or the principles of the law, and uh, the first thing we see in verse 22 is two sons. It says, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, and, and we know about these two sons. We, we know that Ishmael uh, was born first, and his mother was uh, Hagar or Agar, Agar, ha I, I keep saying it in different ways, but there, it has an H in the Old Testament, and they took the H out uh, when they translated from Greek in the New Testament, so, um, and she's the, the bondmaid of Sarah. Um, 
and I understand that it was Sarai at the time and Abram and Sarai. I'm just going to say it wrong the whole time, so I'm just going to I'm just going to move forward. I don't want you to be distracted by that, so I'm just going to take it off the table, okay? Um, so I, Isaac was uh, Sarah's firstborn, and and um, he was the child that God had promised Abraham. Um, this is the basic story, okay? So the, the promise of the physical seed that would inhabit the promised land was realized in Isaac. But there, there's a spiritual application um, that's important to the topic the Apostle Paul's dealing with here. And uh, we just need to make sure we keep that in the, within the context that he's dealing with a, a, not just a physical error or an error of lineage or something like that. This is actually a spiritual situation and a spiritual error that's being dealt with. So we, that's the, the two sons. We see the two women at the end of verse 22, the one by a bondmaid and the other by a free woman. And these women are, are here are given titles, the bondmaid and the free woman. So the, the bondmaid, of course, was a female slave. And it could be, uh, we don't know, it doesn't say specifically, but uh, when Abraham left the promised land, there, there was a famine there, and he went down into Egypt. And that's in uh, Genesis 12, verse 10. It says, and there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was grievous in the land. Um, and then we see uh, on in, in chapter 16 of Genesis, uh, verse 1, it says, Now Sarai, Ab- Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she had an handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. So it could be that when they were away from God, so God had done nothing but give Abraham good promises. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Uh, he didn't say, if you do this, then you can have the land. If you do this, he just said, go and I'll give you. That's it. There was, there was no conditions whatsoever Abraham just had to believe God and go and so he went and he got there and then there was a little bit of trouble there was a famine and we know the story that he decided he's going to go to Egypt as it says right there and so there's there's a chance when he met uh, in that story you'll find that he meets up with Pharaoh and and all these things and Pharaoh ends up um, presenting him it talks about Pharaoh's uh, servants and and all these things Um, and there's a good chance I don't know nobody really knows but that they picked up Hagar, uh, while they were away from God in Egypt, it's, it's a, it's a de- decent possibility. So Sarah devises this plan in, in uh, Genesis chapter 16. In verse 2, it says, and, and Sarah said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. So Sarah thought she'd help God out and provide a seed for his promise to come through. But there's a problem with that, um, and her name's Hagar, right? Because the, the, the bondmaid didn't see things this way. The, the child would be Abraham's, but it would never be Sarah's as long as Hagar was in the picture. So in verses uh, 3 through 5 in Genesis 16, it says, And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the maid to the Egyptian after Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And Sarai said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid into thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. And the Lord judged between me and thee. So the, the bondmaid was now elevated because uh, part of the problem was that uh, Sarah had given her to wife, and so now she had equal privileges with Sarah in this relationship, and therefore, since she's the one that bared seed now, since she's the one that had a son, uh, she had now had an elevated position within the home. Um, of course, it was wicked for her to have her husband remarry. It was wicked for Abraham to marry another woman, but 
you know, he, they, they, in their, their, their minds, the way it worked was they always knew that Sarah could not conceive. Uh, this was never going to happen as far as they were concerned. They believed God, but, the, but if, you remember, if you recall it, in Genesis, it, uh, God never said, well, it's going to come through Sarah. So maybe they were thinking, well, uh, maybe we, maybe it's not going to come through you. Maybe, maybe it's, maybe I'm just not the one, you know, God knows that I can't bear children. And, uh, you know, this is, and they start to rationalize things and, and, and then they start to think of and devise another means, another way. Well, you know what? I, I bet that God wants you to marry my handmaid. And then, then our seed, you know, this promised seed will, will come through her. That's probably what's going to happen anyway. Let's just, let's just cut them off at the pass and go ahead and help God out with this. And, uh, that now the, the bondmaid gets into a position and she looks down upon Sarah and, and she had something over her. So the, the plan, though, originally was uh, to use her and to take her child and Sarah, it would be hers. Like, it, you know, because it was imp- the implicit promise was Abram was married to Sarah at the time the promise was made. So it, they should have gathered that this was coming, the seed was coming through Sarah. But, you know, Satan gets in our minds and starts working things and, and we start shifting and moving and not trusting God and thinking that, you know, maybe the promise doesn't really mean that. Maybe it's not this or that. And, and, and pretty soon we have this whole plan devised that has nothing to do with God's plan. And we think we're doing God a favor and helping him out. And that's what happened. The, the, so they, they planned to, that Sarah was going to get the child and Hagar was just going to be off to the side. But Hagar is not having any of that. Um, and it's really a picture of mankind giving place to sin. Um, Hagar was elevated and given position permanently as Abram's wife because of a lack of faith. And once she conceived, the only child was Hagar's, and she was in control. No matter how much control over sin we think we might have, it will ultimately rule over us if we don't utterly remove it from our lives. So Hagar, of course, is the bondmaid, and she was given her, her are brought as a slave, and no matter what she did, no matter how much she tried, the promise made to Abraham could never, ever come to fruition through her. That's what they didn't understand. It, it couldn't come through Hagar. Hagar represents the law here. The, the promise can never be obtained through works of the law, never. Hagar's presence could only condemn. Her presence first condemned Abraham for his wandering ways. Even just having the title, they call her the Egyptian, the Egyptian handmaid or bondmaid. So this, this title alone would remind Abraham of his time out of, the, out of God's will. Even if they didn't pick her up while they were there, just every time, the Egyptian, oh, get that Egyptian one. And that would have to call to his mind that time away from God. It's always condemning, just like the law. It's always condemning. It's ever over the top of his head. So her, her presence later would condemn Abraham and Sarah for their failures in the flesh and lack of faith. And with this, Hagar became bold, and she constantly reminded Sarah that she had no child. And we remember the story of Hannah, uh, Samuel's mother, and and the other wife there had a bunch of kids, and she was always uh, making fun and poking at Hannah and things like that. And Hannah goes to the temple and and weeps on the steps, and uh, Eli thought she was drunk and came down. And anyway, it's very similar to that situation. Uh, This is how Sarah was being treated. So Sarah is the free woman, of course, and how did she become a free woman? She, she didn't do anything to inherit this status. She didn't have any merit that went toward this. She didn't earn this somehow, and, and I think it's intentional in the word of God that we don't know a whole lot about her, and, and I think it's uh, Genesis 11:30 30 uh, just says that Sarah was Abraham's wife, and she was, or Abram's wife, and she was barren, 
uh, and we, we know that she probably was from the local area, the Ur of Chaldees, where they started out. Uh, we know that she was barren. We know that she was beautiful. It, it does tell us that later on. But there was, there's nothing about her that we would think, oh, that's why God chose her. Oh, that's the reason that she was Abram's wife. There's, there's nothing, there's no quality that we're given that would establish her as earning this in any type of way. And, and that's really a picture of God's grace. Uh, it's unmerited favor. She was a recipient of the promise through no work or good deeds of her own. She just married Abraham. And that's it. That, that's, and that's how grace works. There's nothing you can do. There's no, there's no work of the flesh. There's no law that she was able to fulfill. God chose her. God chose to bless Abraham and his family. And she was a part of that family. And so we see two births in, in verse 23. But he who was of the bondmaid, bondwoman, excuse me, was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. And we see two diver, diverging results, and both of them are births. One birth was after the flesh. Uh, this is conception as a result of sin. Ishmael, uh, his name means God will hear. And, and so that's almost, it, it sounds like they're almost uh, tempting God. It, like, well, God hasn't heard us up to this point. Maybe if I give you my handmaid, then God will finally hear us. And, and so Ishmael, his name means God will hear. And this, this shows man's best plans are desperately wicked. They desire God's will, but they didn't like God's timetable. We fall in there a lot, don't we? They, they lapsed in faith, and they, they started out strong, but grew weak waiting on God. And then Isaac, uh, his name means laughter or mockery. And they were mocking. How, he, he was born by the promise, and, and we know that Isaac was an impossibility. Uh, Sarah, Sarah, from the first, the first thing that's ever said about her is that she was barren, that she could not have children. That's the first thing we know. And, and when Isaac was promised, she was already past her childbearing years. So think about that. She already couldn't have children and then, then wait about 80 years. And then tell somebody, you're going to have a child. You know, that, and, and I think initially... She, she probably believed it, and then as time went on, as she got older and older, and the aches and pains, and understanding that physically there, it is an impossibility for me to bear a child at this point. I've already passed that time. Uh, this would have to be a miracle, and, and that's how God works. So Isaac was by the promise, and Abraham believed God, which is the pattern of faith for us, and taking God in his word just, just because he said so. That's faith. And we can learn here that there, there is power in waiting. There is power in waiting. In, in Isaiah chapter 40 it, it, in uh, 28 through 31, it talks about how uh, that they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. That wait there uh, means to be intertwined. And so, so you're not operating. When, when, when you're waiting, and, and we spend a lot of time waiting, don't we? I mean, uh, all these different things throughout the word of God, uh, you know, you think of Jacob waiting for the wife that he was promised. He's serving seven years and another seven years and all these things. And uh, there, there's, there's a lot of waiting. Elijah's waiting. He's, he's, he's down there by that, the brook and he's getting fed by the birds and all these things. He's waiting. And a lot of times it's waiting in fear. And, and here's Abraham and Sarah waiting and they're old and they're, they come up here, they're through their 80s and they're, through the, they're into their 90s and hundreds and everything else waiting and we get the highlights here. We don't get all those days with just nothing, where you're really not hearing from God. You're really not 
You, you, maybe they're just not feeling it. You know, the, the, all that there is is the, the thoughts that keep coming back into their mind of the promise that was made, but why not yet? Why am I waiting? And so it's important here. That it says, again, in, in Isaiah 40, 31, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And how do we do that? It's being intertwined with God. You have to be wrapped up. You know, in the, we sing the kids' song, I'm all wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in Jesus. We have to be, we have, to be have a closeness with him. You think about how, how uh, very strong cords, uh, the metal braiding and things, they're, they're intertwined. And so that they, they have that sheer strength that where they can't be pulled apart. And, and it's not us that has the strength. It's that we need to be intertwined with God while we're waiting to have the strength. You're waiting in those, those moments, those quiet moments when, when, you, when it seems like it's never going to happen, where things are not working out. Those are the times of faith. Those are the, the faith-building times where you have to lean more heavily on God. He wants you to be more in his word during those times. He wants you to pray more in those times. Those are the, those are the times where when, when it gets uh, cumbersome and it gets overwhelming and things like that, we're supposed to take those burdens to God as they come. And that's how you get intertwined with God. And that's how you avoid shipwreck and error. So Isaac was the child of the free woman, whereas the child of the bondmaid did not meet the conditions of God's promise. See, Ishmael was not brought forth in a supernatural way. He was born after the flesh. He, he was born to a woman that could easily and readily conceive. There was no issue there. Uh, she was fertile and everything else. So there was nothing supernatural about that. She was, she was not brought forth of the free woman. She wasn't brought forth of the, the individual through who God's grace was placed upon. This promise was to Abraham through Sarah and anything else could never, ever could not meet the standard. But, but Sarah wasn't specifically mentioned, like I said, and, and it was implied because she was Abraham's wife. So they began to wonder, and then God actually calls her name out later on. I believe she's about 90 years old, and that's where she laughs. And, that, and then God told her to name him Isaac because you laughed at me. So Sarah's plan was never God's plan. It was a perversion of God's plan using man's reasoning and rationalization. And, and this is a picture of the first birth, which is natural, our, our first birth in the flesh, we're condemned by the law of God as sinners in need of a Savior. We must be born again. There must be a supernatural birth by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So the next thing we see is the two mountains uh, in 24 and 25, which, which things are an allegory for these are the two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, which, is, which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. And answereth to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. So th this allegory, they're true stories, um, but they, they, they do have a spiritual application. Like I quoted the verse Romans 15, 4 earlier, and we, we see in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, that it says, Now all these things happen unto them for ensamples. As the Apostle Paul's going through a lot of the Old Testament stories um, and true accounts. He says, All these things happen unto them for ensamples. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. And that's us. So we can take these, these old stories in the Bible, these true stories, these true accounts, and they do have a spiritual application. They are for our learning. They're for us to learn from and grow. And they, they do represent certain things. And that's what the Apostle Paul is doing here, is he, he's giving the spiritual application for these true stories. So we have two women, the one law and the one grace. We have two sons. One represents carnal man and the other uh, the supernatural son. We have two births, one after the flesh and one by the promise. And now we see two mountains. And the covenant of Mount Sinai where the law was given in Exodus 19 and 20. 
And the, the covenant um, is represented by Mount Sinai, which it says it answereth to, or which is to fall in line or like a soldier in the ranks with Jerusalem, which now is. And he's saying to them uh, that during this time, uh, Jerusalem is representing this same bondage. You, you know, he's, he's telling the, the Galatians, look, I know these people, pro- and, and we can assume that they came from Jerusalem. They're heavily influenced by the, the uh, Judaizers in, in Jerusalem at the time. That's kind of the, the, the central religious location for all, all of the Jews during the time, of course. And so he says, this is not uh, a place of freedom. This, is, this, is, this is, equates to Mount Sinai. They, they are representing the law there. This, they fall right in line with what was done on Mount Sinai. They, they're bringing you into bondage here. Don't take this as some kind of, uh, don't give them their, their sayings and their teachings weight because of where they come from. So just like soldiers in formation, they look the same, they stand the same, and they march in lockstep. And Mount Sinai, of course, is where God spoke to the people, and the people were terrified. And remember, uh, the people and, and even the animals couldn't come near Mount Sinai. Exodus 19, the Israelites came to Mount Sinai, and God told Moses he was going to come in a thick cloud so the people could hear when he speaks to Moses. And God tells Moses also to have all the people wash their clothes and get ready for the third day when God would come down in the sight of all the people. Um, And then in uh, Exodus 19, verses 12 and 13, he says, And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves, that ye go not up into the mountain, or touch the border of it. Whosoever touches the mount shall surely be surely put to death. There shall not an hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through, whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. So only, only Moses and Aaron were allowed to come up, and the law was given. Of course, in Exodus 20 through 24, there's all the ceremonial law, these different things. And in 24, verse 17, in Exodus, it says, And the sight of the glory of the Lord was like devouring fire on the top of the mount in the eyes of the children of Israel. So Mount Sinai was where God demonstrated that he was uh, what was required, and no one but Moses and Aaron could approach God there. We know that through the law, no man can come into God's presence. It's only through Christ. Verse 26 says, but Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. If you want to turn to Hebrews chapter 12, as we, I'm going to try to finish, finish this up. And I'm, I'm going to go ahead and start maybe before you get there. I'll read it if you can't get there. So this, this Jerusalem, which is above, is the mother of us all. And uh, we'll be in verses 18 through 24 in Hebrews chapter 12. So it says, for ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, and that, bur- and that burn with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they heard, they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore, for they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the, the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But this is the good news. But ye are come unto Mount Sion, and this lines up with our passage here. But ye are come unto Mount Sion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. So we know that uh, Mount Zion was... That's where Jerusalem was built. So we're talking about two mountains here. We're talking about Mount Sinai, and, and lest they get confused that this new Jerusalem is 
different than the Jerusalem here on earth. The Jerusalem here on earth is steeped in the law at this time, and, and even today, it's in, it's, they're lost in wickedness. And this, would, this uh, idea, though, would be balked at by the Jews of the day, that heavenly Jerusalem would, could be considered the mother of Gentiles. That would be something that would really get them riled up. And so Paul's response to this is in verse 27. He says, For it is written, Rejoice, thou barren, and that bearest not. Break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. So the Gentile is spoken of here as the barren woman. And the original promise was not given to the Gentiles, but to the Jews. So the Jews are spoken of as a woman that has had a husband for a long time because they're the ones that received the promise. It was committed to them. The oracles of God were committed to them, and, and they knew about it for hundreds of years. It's actually quoting Isaiah 44.1, and it's here being used to show that, that God will have more children through the gospel preached to the Gentiles than through the Jews. It's because they had largely rejected the gospel, and they haven't until this day. So think about all the people that have been saved over the last 2,000 years because of the gospel of Jesus Christ going out through the Gentiles. Um, there's millions more. There's going to be millions more Gentiles and those of all nations, creeds, and everything else than there will be uh, Jews in heaven, unfortunately for them. Verses 28 and 29, uh, it says, Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of the promise. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. So remember, Ishmael was 14 years old when Isaac was born. Uh, Isaac was weaned probably a few years after that. That would make Ishmael about 17 or 18 years old. And in Genesis 21, verses 8 through 10, it says, And the child grew and was weaned, talking about Isaac. And Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which he had borne unto Abraham, mocking. Wherefore, uh, she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son. For the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. So that these that continue in keeping the law were some of the greatest persecutors of the early Christians. And Paul knew this firsthand. He's saying uh, these false teachers have come into Galatia and are persecuting you by putting you back into this type of bondage. And, and then he goes on in verse 30 and 31. He says, nevertheless, what saith the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. So this is all about two things. The covenant of the law versus the covenant of grace. And, and uh, Abraham had to cast out his own child, Ishmael. And, and the reason why, of course, we know is because he had no rights. He had, he had no right to the inheritance. This was something that they had created. They really created an entire group of people that would persecute uh, Jews for I mean, up till today, we, we understand that. So uh, th that could never, Ishmael could never have any rights, any place with that inheritance. There would always be a question. If he stayed around, there's always going to be a question about who the inheritance was for. And as a matter of fact, uh, the, the Quran and all these things, they, they claim the other, the other way, that it was Ishmael that was chosen, that it was Ishmael that got the inheritance. And so there had to be a clear distinction here. Imagine how, how much confusion there would be if Abraham would have let Ishmael stay. And, and of course, this, as, for the spiritual application, for the Galatians here, is saying, kick it out. You, the law has no place with grace. The, the law does not have anything to do with grace. You know, of course, we, we, we can, we're to try to live according to the law we're try, because we love the Lord, but it's not a means of justification. It's not a means of righteousness. You can never be justified or made righteous by the law. This only comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's grace. It's, it's only by grace. 
And so they, they were told to cast out these things, cast out the law. And he says uh, to the Galatians, cast out those things that do not pertain to the promise. Just as Ishmael can never be considered part of the heritage of the promise of God, neither can the law be placed in line with grace. All right, that's all I have. I'll pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you for the, your goodness and your grace and your mercy upon us. We do ask that you bless the service to come. We ask that if anyone here doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, that today they would get saved. We love you and thank you for everything that you've done, for everything you'll do. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. All right.